This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is how to launch products on Amazon in a saturated product category. Here to speak with me is Fernando Campos, who is the co-founder of Marketplace Ops, an online marketplace management and strategy firm that helps brands supercharge their growth on Amazon and Walmart. Fernando has generated more than $150 million in revenue for his clients and sold two businesses in the Amazon space. His companies were ranked in the Inc. 5000 in 2019 and 2020 and made it onto the Entrepreneur 360 list for several years. Fernando, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Stefan. Excited to be here. Fernando, before we start exploring today's topic, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. How did you get started in your career and what led you to uh, Marketplace Ops? Yeah, um, thanks. Yeah. So I, I graduated from college, uh, went into finance because I thought that's, you know, what you're supposed to do. I went to USC and naturally everybody that kind of go at the time, it was like, you know, if you're smart and you're driven and ambitious, you, you kind of go after investment banking. And so I really wanted to, to, to go into investment banking. Sadly, I graduated in 2009 <laughs> during like not the best of times, but I did it as start my career off in finance. For me, it was awful. I, I absolutely hated it. I looked at everybody above and realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I quickly realized that I, I needed to kind of figure out. And so I interviewed everywhere. And I kind of landed um, uh, at this tech startup uh, called BetterWorks at the time. Uh, and I went to probably like a 70% pay cut. It was brutal. Uh, basically, you know, cold calling restaurants, making $20 per close, 100% commissioned roll. And the company kind of scaled extremely quickly and then imploded after a year. Uh, and then it, it kind of it taught me a ton about like, you know, raising money and startups and everything else. But that kind of took my career uh, to like really, I feel like where it started was at a company called AnyPerk. Um, it was a YC backed company in San Francisco. I was employee number two, the director of sales. And I, I was convinced to join actually because the CEO is really young, like very driven, ambitious Japanese guy that was just like, Hey, you have an amazing background based on the company that just failed. Like come join us and we can build this together. And like, I think I was just so excited. I was probably like 26 at the time. Uh, I was there for two years, helped it, grow from pre-product, pre-customer, pre-anything really, uh, to doing millions in revenue. And yeah, left as the head of sales, um, like owned probably like 95% of revenue for the business. Um, and I feel like that was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm confident I can build businesses this is like a B2B SaaS. And, um, you know, one of my best friends from college, Nick, him and I had actually worked at BetterWorks before. Uh, we were grabbing lunch and it was just like, you know, we both built really success, helped build uh, successful businesses for others. It's like, it's our turn. And so we both turned in our notice. We had literally kind of no idea what we were going to do. We kind of had an idea that we, well, we knew one that we didn't have the, the discipline to like work on at night because we were already like working pretty crazy hours with our jobs. But we, and then two was that we wanted to do something in e-commerce because we both come from like tech startups, but we weren't technical. And so we wouldn't really succeed there. Uh, or we wouldn't have a competitive advantage. And so we decided on e-commerce. We kind of messed around with Shopify for maybe like five months or so. 
And it was brutal. Like our conversion rates were low, our margins were low. And when we forecasted how long it would take us to going back to making six figures, I was like, I'm going to run out of money. It was like 18 months, I think. And then I was like, I'm going to run out of money in like eight. Like we need to like figure out something faster. And so we kind of threw away like the passion project that we were working on and then decided like, look, we just need to make money. And we had heard that people were buying and selling stuff on eBay, like importing from China, reselling on eBay. And so we're like, okay, whatever, let's just do that. We'll make money and then we'll figure out something else. And in the meantime, we're also driving for Uber in the evenings just to like extend our runway. Cause like, um, for sure. Went from like head of sales, you know, like living like the high life to like, man, I'm like driving for Uber, like pretty broke. And then it's funny. We were like kind of planning, we're working on the eBay business. And then we're working out of my, um, my best friend and business partner's uh, apartment at the time. And then he receives like this Amazon package. And then we're just like, why are we selling on eBay if we buy everything on Amazon? But this is like, you know, 2014. So it's not as well known that you can even sell. Like at the time, honestly, I thought everything was just sold by Amazon. And so we started like Googling, researching, and then uh, yeah, realized that yeah, there's like a third party marketplace. And so we just drop everything, the eBay business, the old business, like, and then just like heads down, like, okay, we're doing Amazon. We learn about private label hired a coach. And yeah, in the first month live on Amazon, we launched with a few products. We ended up doing more than like the five months on Shopify combined. And we're like, whoa, like this is like the future. And um, yeah, I mean, we did extremely well. We're very fortunate. We're in the home and kitchen category and we did like 2 million the first year, then jumped up to like eight to 10 to like, and then just, just skyrocketed from there. And then, so in 2020, we sold a lot of those brands um, yeah, it was, it was pretty big at the time. We also started uh, other like fun things that we've done in this space, but yeah, we've, uh, we started pixel five, one of the leading like, uh, link shortening tools in the space. We, that got acquired by rebakey last year. And then now, uh, what we're primarily focused on is marketplace ops, one of the leading, uh, Amazon strategy firms. And so, yeah, we have about 70 employees now all in, um, very global. And that's kind of our story. Looks like you took a few turns before finding kind of success with, with Amazon, basically. But it just totally. also shows, right, that, you know, sometimes it, it takes a little bit to, to kind of be successful. You know, it's not the first thing you do that it kind of gets you on the right track. I mean, if it does, great. But sometimes it just you just have to have elbow grease, right? You just have to keep doing things and have, try, to have to keep trying at the end of the day. Now, coming back to Amazon, what always, what always interests me is, what separates really successful companies on Amazon from the rest? So, you know, as you said, you you kind of were in a kitchenware space and, you know, you scaled really quickly your, your brands, right? So what makes the 1% different to the rest? Yeah, it's a good question. Like, you know, back when we started, like 2014, 2015, I think you could basically create a product, throw up like good images, you can buy reviews at the time, and your product is pretty much going to sell. Like it wasn't nearly as saturated. Uh, the competition wasn't as sophisticated. And so just generally things that you threw up like would, would actually sell. Like there's like a crazy story of someone that wanted to create their own private label brand and supplements and they wanted to test it. So they just bought like 20 units at like Target or Walmart, like put them into other bottles with their label on it just to test. And even at a crazy price, they sold through and they're like, okay, this is crazy. I can sell this on Amazon. And so 
which obviously there's no chance you could do that today. I think today what really separates the good sellers is, I mean, Amazon has already simplified e-commerce in so many ways, right? They take care of the support. They take care of the fulfillment. They take care of like, you know, the customers. You just have to like get them to click on your listing over someone else's, right? But I think in those narrow categories that you still have to focus on, like product development, advertising, like the content, you just have to really like start mastering those. I think before you could have a few of them week, like maybe your supply chains week, maybe your advertising week. Uh, but now I think it's about, like, if you think about it as like a knob, like you need them all to be just generally at like around like an eight, nine or 10. And I think if you're able to do that by you know, building teams, then, you know, delegating, having a business partner and really nailing all of those, like as close as to nine and 10 as possible, then I think you're going to succeed. But I think if you're constantly running out of stock or you're not really investing in like really good design and testing those designs, like using like, let's say an IntelliV or like Cellometrics, whatever, then I, I feel like it's just too competitive now to really like kind of not be mastering every area or every pillar of Amazon. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the listeners might be very familiar with what is required to, to set up a product or to sell a product on Amazon. Some might not be. Um, quickly, can you, can you talk about which elements are important um, when you want to sell a product or products on Amazon? You know, you talked about, obviously, creatives, which is the visual part, right? The imagery that you have there. You talked about content, which is the product description, everything else. What else? And you also, you also talked about, uh, obviously, availability. So do you have enough products available to sell, basically? What else is there that, that people need to look at and that, that really is important? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, strat I, sorry. Yeah, I think overall is I, I would be thinking about the like, strategy of your keywords, I think, is, is huge. So, you know, generally, there's, like, non-branded and then branded terms, right? And so... If you have like a really strong D2C presence, or maybe you're in retail, maybe you have a whatever, you're you're an influencer, then you can you can drive people to Amazon and then you're gonna go after like more branded keywords naturally. If you're like a brand new brand, no one's like really aware of you then, then you're gonna like, to be successful, you're gonna have to go after like the non-branded or unbranded keywords. And so that might be like whatever, turmeric supplement or like facial cleanser or things like that where people are not specifically looking for a brand. So I think your strategy of how you select those keywords, what you're going after is really important. I think your advertising strategy is extremely important. Like where are you spending to kind of expand on that? It's like your relevancy is extremely important, both in keywords and in your advertising, right? And so going back to that example, if you're, if you're saying, let's say, immunity supplement, that's so broad. Well, it seems like it, for some people, it could be very specific, but you know, there's obviously vitamin C, there's zinc, there's elderberry, there's all these things that can help you with your immunity, but then there's also all these different types of forms, right? It could be a certain amount, um, like liquids, tablets, powders, whatever. And so just getting really specific to the product that you're really trying to sell. It's like, yeah, we're doing uh, an elderberry liquid with like 300 milligrams, like blah, blah, blah. And then making sure that you, there is demand on that, like those non-branded keywords. And Amazon has a lot of like phenomenal tools now, like um, brand analytics, like the search terms report, there's uh, the product opportunity report. So you can kind of see 
relative strength uh, of those keywords, how they're trending over time, who are the best sellers. And I think a lot of that is extremely helpful in terms of like, you really want to prioritize what you're advertising to, what you're going after to the highly relevant keywords that also obviously have like high volume. And then you kind of, uh, you kind of work your way down from that. But yeah, other areas, supply chain is huge. Like Amazon is, is really tightening up uh, in the last few weeks, their Q4 storage um, because they're, they're just overstocked. They're closing down warehouses uh, because they're projecting a, a smaller Q4. And so that means that you need to be tighter with your inventory. You need to like be really proactive about like the, the kind of hacks in terms of getting more space. Do you have an account manager like uh, submitting uh, to try to get more through them? I think those are like probably the biggest things. Uh, but yeah, if you're good at digital, like on Amazon, but if you're good at digital marketing, then like you're going to crush on Amazon. If you know how to drive Facebook traffic, Google traffic, TikTok traffic, um, leveraging influencers, but all of that like outside traffic is generally rewarded, you know, on Amazon. And so that is, can be really meaningful as well. Mm-hmm. I want to touch about, on a few things that you mentioned. Hopefully we can go a little bit deeper here. So obviously the topic today is um, launching products on Amazon in a saturated product category. If you are planning to um, launch a product in a saturated product category, from a content perspective, you know, you, you've done your research, you've done your research, you know which keywords are important for your mm-hmm. product to, to kind of be found. How can you still stand out from the other products that are similar in that product category? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I've been in paid search, for example, since 2004, back in the days that paid search and SEO. Back in the days, what we did from SEO, I mean, Google would slap our wrists so badly these days, you know, besides the fact it doesn't work anymore, yeah. right? You're right, right, but, right. you know, keyword spamming and you name it, right? Talk a little bit about how can you prepare your content once you have identified the keywords that are relevant for your product to actually properly compete with the products that have already established themselves in your category? Yeah, it's a great question. So yeah, if you're looking, let's say you're looking in the supplements category where, 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 mm-hmm. uh, where we have a lot of expertise. Yeah, if you're going into turmeric or you're going into like vitamin C, vitamin D, a lot of these listings are going to have five, 10, 20,000 reviews. And so, yeah, to your point, it's like, why is someone going to purchase mine that has 50 against someone that's like got 15,000? And so I think it's really important to be aware of that. And so if you're going to go after the same keywords that this, you know, this 800 pound gorilla has, then you have to be that much better. You need to be like exponentially better in terms of your entire execution, in terms of the product, in terms of the marketing, in terms of your main image, drive a higher click-through rate. And so, you know, generally, I think where I would start is really spending a lot of time on the offer and figuring out like, okay, well... This guy's going to have 15,000 reviews. By the time I launch, he's probably actually going to have more. Maybe it's like 16 or 17,000. So what do I think as a consumer I can offer that's going to make it better? And it doesn't have to be like completely like, you know, like rocket ship, like innovation. You know what I mean? It could be just doing like a two pack. It could be just offering uh, more capsules because they're offering 60. You're realizing that everybody's offering 60 and you're going to just double it. 120 because you have the margins to support it. Um, it could be adding in extra ingredients or 
that help with absorption or that just differentiate the product. You know, I, I, I think I've seen like protein powders that combine MCT. And so then it's just a little uh, MCT also is just a little bit more specific to like the keto niche. But I think thinking about how do you make it different? Because if you're just going, if they're selling like a 60 count tumor capsules and you're just coming in with another 60, but they got the 15,000 reviews that you have zero chance. Right. But it's about, you know, first like IDing the product that really resonates with a certain percentage of people. But, and then I think it's about making like data driven decisions um, using like a polling software. So again, like Intellivy is a big one, PickFu is a big one, Telemetrics is a big one. And then all of them are phenomenal because you can just grab three of your closest competitors or main images, and then you can test it against like a few mockups of yours. And so now for our clients, like we'll even run this poll if they're thinking about a product because it's way better to figure it out earlier before you spend a ton of time on R&D and taste tests and like quality control and pricing and all that stuff. I'd rather find out earlier that it's like it might work or might not. And then I'll have more conviction. And so you can basically, let's say it's, you know, three competitors in ours. So evenly distributed, we each get 25% of the votes. But and then now you run the test of the main image and you'll include like, hey, mine's going to have 50 reviews. They're going to have 10,000, 15,000, whatever. And then you can see the distribution of like positive and negative votes for each of the, uh, the and then actually get like real feedback, like an online focus group. And then it's telling you like, hey, oh, I don't like the picture of this dog, for instance, or I don't like the, this color paint, it's too bright. And then things like that, that just helping you your and your design team kind of modify. And then I'm looking at the distribution of the votes. Like our, some of our best-selling products will get like 70% of the votes with like three other competitors where it shouldn't have been 25% evenly distributed. And so I think that's a great way of helping us understand with data before even like launching the product, do we think we're going to win in this category because our offer is not compelling, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, you also talked about advertising strategies. Um, talk a little bit about that. How important is it to not only just put your product up on Amazon, but also you know, to, to drive people through advertising there. And then second question to that is when you talk about advertising, you're talking about running advertising on Amazon's platform. So on Amazon, or are you also talking about running advertising outside of Amazon to drive people to Amazon? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. So yeah, first question was, yeah, is driving ads on Amazon important? A hundred percent. Like if you're just starting out, I mean, there, there's some theories like larger brands just cutting Amazon and then their ad spend and then their profit goes up really substantially. We don't do that. I think just naturally that, that might, will probably work me for six, 12 months, but eventually like Amazon is going to penalize you and then you're going to, you're going to start dropping a rank and it's going to be hard to recover truthfully. I think also if you're in consumables, then it, uh, if you have a, high, a good product and a high repeat purchase rate, then it, it often makes sense to be acquiring people new to brand because then you can get them to subscribe and save. And that can you know, easily represent like 35% of revenue, uh, which, is, which is huge. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, uh, to summarize the first question, yeah, for sure, advertising on Amazon, it's, it's pay to play like at this point in, in most categories. So you have to do it. What we specialize in is more on on Amazon platform, we don't do Facebook, TikTok, Google, YouTube. Uh, it's just not our skill set, and we're 
like we try to hyper focus on Amazon. But yeah, I think for, for most brands, personally, I would just start with Amazon and get to a certain size, maybe a, a few million a year, and then start like, and then expanding out personally. But I think if you haven't hit that like threshold, let's call it 3 million a year, then I think there's just more to be done on Amazon, whether it's introducing more products or um, getting more reviews or all of that kind of stuff. So I would just prioritize that. And then you have, you know, you should be profitable, have extra cash flow to be able to like test new initiatives like the off Amazon marketing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Now you, you talked about a few things that uh, companies can do in order to stand out. You know, you talked about imagery, even before you start developing a product, doing testing on, on if, if a product would resonate, imagery. Um, you talked about, um, you know, maybe having a slightly different offer, although it's the same Equus product, for example, you know, right. bigger bottle size or, or more milliliter uh, or ounces in, in, you know, in the bottle, etc. Exactly. Um, how important is price in a consideration to kind of entering a category that is really saturated? Yeah, great question. I mean, price is definitely really important on Amazon. I think, especially leading into a recession, I think it's going to be even, you know, increasingly more important. But I think it just really comes down to value, right? Like, let's say, uh, this is simple. Let's say you're selling iPhone cables, right? If you come in, like, it's going to be a race to the bottom. Uh, and so, but it, it, if you're like, you know, they were probably originally selling for like 10 bucks each or whatever, 20 bucks each. But then if you were the first one to come in with two at 15 bucks, like I think you would have killed it, right? Because no one needs just one iPhone cable. So I think you could always like pack two. Your FBA fees are going to be less because it's not going to really charge them that much more to, to do the second one. Uh, if, you, if you're bundling as a two-pack, not just like having people order two on the listing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then your product cost is for sure going to be less than that, like the difference in margin. And so I think that is like a really smart way of, of merchandising. Uh, obviously, you can't do that today because now there's like four and five packs on the iPhone cables. But that same concept applies in different categories, supplements, beauty, other things. And I think it's definitely doable. Thinking about it like if, from like if you go shop at Costco, like, you know, you can't buy anything like one of anything pretty much. It's yep. like unless it's like maybe a TV, but it's like you're getting like three, four, like you're getting a family pack, right? And so there is that Costco consumer on Amazon. And that's like an easy way of innovation. And you're able to pass some savings on to the customer, obviously, and then also still have a, a really healthy margin. Interesting. That's a, that's a great thought. I, when you started talking about that, I immediately thought about Costco. So do you see that a lot with, with, with brands on Amazon, that they're more moving towards multi or, or several products of the same as, as kind of you know, what they sell instead of just an individual product? Totally. Yeah. I see it all the time. In, in a lot of different categories, toys, beauty, supplements, like yeah, all over the place. Yeah, electronics for sure. Where we're doing like multi-packs. Sometimes you'll see in beauty, there's like a, a morning, like kind of topical and then an evening one. Um, there's yeah, just different types of sets or, or even like complementary products that like, you know, we, we were helping a client with like Instapot accessories for a little while and they would just like throw everything in there, everything that you would use with an Instapot. And yeah, very, very clever. Uh, but it's like almost like a starter kit. You buy your Instapot and then you buy this and it's just all the things that you can, you would ever want. And so I, I think just generally those are some of the cool, easy ways to 
or easier ways to innovate without actually creating something completely new. Interesting. And we talked about a lot of things that are important to kind of set your product up on Amazon and to sell it. One thing, and you mentioned it a few times, um, one thing we haven't talked about is, which is review. Um, obviously, you talked about, you know, back in the days, in the early days, there was a lot of, let's buy reviews, right? You kind of, right. it's like the same as, as I mentioned earlier with, with keyword spamming in the early days of, of SEO, right? There's always something that someone identified that works. And, and then a lot of people do it till, you know, the platform then starts, you know, slapping you on the wrist and then taking them away, right? Because you want to mm -hmm. authentic reviews from people. Um, how important, first of all, are reviews from your perspective? And then how do companies, especially when you start out, how can you solicit a lot of reviews from your buyers? Is there a mm -hmm. special approach that you've seen works in order to really collect reviews? Yeah, it's a good question. Do you want to know? Yeah, the the gray hat ways or only the the white hat ways, or do you want? I guess both. Well, go ahead. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Uh, okay, so let's start with the white hat. Like uh, the the first thing that you can do that's allowed is you can automate rating requests, and then so ratings are a little bit different than reviews because it doesn't have words. It's just like the one through five star. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of software out there can just automate that. Like Sellerize is, is a great mm -hmm. one. And so so that's one thing. And so as your product gets momentum, you have more sales, and it's automatically requested for you. Next one is Vine. Um, Vine is a good program as well. The downside is that Vine. Uh, reviewers are known as harsh. And so if you have a product that could be subjective, like maybe taste or I don't know, you haven't had enough time to, to really test the quality of it. I would not do that. Uh, because like you see that happen with like a lot in the grocery category, actually of all things where people will like, they're so excited. They, they submit to Vine and they just get like an onslaught of these three star reviews and it just like kills the listing. And I feel so bad for them. But like, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk to them. And they're like, what do I do? And I'm like, honestly, you like might need to start over because it's like with a new listing and a new SKU just because, yeah, you just got like kind of wrecked. And then it's hard to overcome that average, right? Like they say like one, one star review is like 25 stars in, in a sense. Uh, and so those are basically the, the, two, the two kosher ways pretty much. I think, um, yeah, as you get very level of like, yeah, very much in the gray or black, I think you can have, you know, friends and family do it to a small extent. You could do post-purchase funnels, uh, which is like, yeah, usually leading from like an insert that goes into um, a specific landing page. You can have it. I hope Amazon isn't listening. You have a geofence so that like, you know, it kind of takes people out that are in like the state of Washington and maybe they see something different. Uh, but, and then basically using that to like do some kind of incentive is, uh, like way of incentivizing maybe it's another free bottle or free complimentary product that helps them use it, things like that. Then yeah, other ways that you can do it. Uh, this one's cool. I, I've heard of it. If you have a good product and let's say you, you're confident, like mine will work. Mm -hmm. Uh, what a lot of people will do is they'll create like five listings they will apply them all for Vine, and then they'll then they'll merge them all together, and so they'll combine all the Vine reviews, you know, basically by separate, separating them out as different listings originally, and then combining them. Or if you have a this one's actually probably less in the gray, uh, but if you have, but still probably in the gray. 
just to be clear, but like if you have a hero skew, you add it in and it's like similar, add it in as a variation, leave it there for a little while, it'll drive some sales and a certain percentage of those will leave like reviews and then you separate it out later. And then that way you already have the, the reviews. And so those are some like off the top of my head that we've implemented over the years. Interesting. Um, Fernando, unfortunately, we've, we've come to the end of today's podcast episode. Thank you so much for joining me on the Performance of a Podcast and sharing your knowledge on you know, how, to, how to get a product that is completely new to the Amazon marketplace uh, in, a, in a saturated marketplace and you know, successful. If people want to find out more about you or Marketplace Ops, how can they get in touch? Yeah, I mean, our website's probably the best place, marketplaceops.com. But if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email, fernando at marketplaceops.com. Or you can follow me on LinkedIn. And uh, I post a lot of content there. Okay, perfect. And as always, we leave that information in the, in the show notes so it's easy to find. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at Symphonic HQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.